Letter written by Paul, read by Phoebe. As I come into this passage, and, and our series is actually um, called uh, Don't Be So Smug. And this is being established uh, as Paul sets this up. And he's going to present to them a hard teaching. But he starts it off this way. He starts it off with a very relational way of doing it. He went from this introduction that seems very formal, and, and it was formal, to a place where he uses the word I so much. This is a list. He says, I thank God for all of you. I serve in my spirit in preaching. I plan many times to come to you. I constantly remember you in prayer. I pray that you, I can come to you. I long to see you. You and I may be, so that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to the Greeks, non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. I am so eager to preach the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. <clears throat> it's important to see that Paul is saying I, not because he's the most important, but it's how he's involved in this calling. He uses the word I as a disciple because it indicates that he's responsible for what's taking place. Like he's taking responsibility. That he's doing these things out of his own personal love. His actions are his own. That he doesn't say, God told me I have to come here. God told me I have to pray. God told me to preach. God told me to encourage. Even though God is leading him, he then says, I, I am preaching. It's not that he's doing without God, but he's not blaming it on God. He's not saying this is um, something I just have to do, which sometimes ministry can feel that way. And yet Paul is so enthusiastic in this letter that he can't help himself to say that I'm coming. This was his heart. He was longing to come and be with them. He was <clears throat> always consistently praying for them. He wants to preach. He wants to encourage. That's what's coming from him because of Jesus Christ, because of this good news and his relationship with Christ. But he starts it this way, and I'll, I want to be honest with you, is that it sounds like it could be knowing what's coming next it sounds like it can be a buffer for what's to come. It sounds like it could be one of those things where um, before he heads in, and, and I remember this in leadership, is that when you have something difficult to tell a group of people, you butter them up first. You say good things. I don't know if you've had that at work. I've had a boss that, man, every weekly meeting, hey, you guys are doing great. 
You're so good. I just love working with you. And then <clears throat> you drop the hammer. That can sometimes make you feel like, was that just made up? And yet, because Paul's making it so personal, I'm hoping that they see his heart. Because it always got to that place where when some, the more someone buttered me up, the worse the next message felt like it was going to be. And yet, Paul is rooting it in something very different, I think. He's rooting it in this understanding of the good news. Because he's complimenting them. He's thankful for them. It's all about the good news. And it's not the good news, bad news thing. Because we've done that as Christians a lot, haven't we? Good news, heaven. Bad news, hell. Paul's just talking good news. And if we start to look at it through the lens of bad news is for someone else, he's saying this is a challenging teaching. I want you to understand as we go into this letter. And so Paul's showing his true heart and character rooted in Christ Jesus and in the gospel of God. Let's look at the first just those first couple of verses that Sarah read. He says, first I thank God. Is it there, Jane? First I thank God through Christ Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God whom I serve in my, in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers. At all times, I pray that now at last, my, by God's will, God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. It's been reported around the world. He's so thankful that that's what's going out from this church. And what, what it is that's being reported is their faith. That in light of all the turmoil that we've seen in the book of Romans, <clears throat> all the challenges, all the division, what's being reported is their faith. Their faith that's a positive thing. And we're talking, he says the whole world, but we're not talking the whole world. We're talking that Greco-Roman, all that territory in there. But Paul's using the word the whole world. He wants you to think beyond Rome. He wants you to think beyond your space and start to think outside. Because Paul's going to make, he wants Rome to be that launching point so that he can go out and do ministry in Spain. But he's not even just thinking of Spain. He's thinking the entire world. That's a real important part of who he is, is that he's not keeping it exclusive. And he talks about, as I said last week, he talks about the Gentiles, his call to the Gentiles. I'm going to the Gentiles. Jews were stuck in that place where they weren't sure. 
Now, I want you to think about that as Christians in this world. Do we have that heart to say, I can hardly wait to tell my friends? I can hardly wait to see them experience what I get to experience. Because some of these Jewish Christians were stuck in the idea that Gentile Christians are second-rate And Paul's correcting that. He's wanting them to see that they're all sharing in it. But he wants them to see, don't get stuck just thinking here. In your space, where you feel comfortable, where you enjoy God's presence. And he prays for them constantly. And it's interesting, he prays that he'll come and see them soon. If you know the story in Acts, you'll see that soon didn't happen. What Paul experienced was these things that would cause him to be hindered from doing that for several years. Before he gets to see them, he's mobbed, he's beaten, he's arrested, imprisoned for a long time, had to face trial, and was shipwrecked. And he still made his way there. But he continues on and he says, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to come to you, but I have been prevented from doing so until now in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I had among other Gentiles. I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. He longs to be with them. I hope it's not just words, because this is the transformation of Paul. He longs for that. He longs to come to them and and be encouraged as he encourages them. It's a mutual thing. It's not him saying, I have a message for you and I'm just imparting. He also sees that there's a connectiveness that he's going to be encouraged as well as they join with him, as they participate in this. But he longs to impart spiritual gift to make them strong. This isn't a gift from Paul. It's a gift from God. And it's not something, I always struggle with the word impart, but he's bringing something to them, letting them know this is what they have in Christ. And you see it later on in Romans, in Romans 12, 6 and 8. Do you have that there, Jaden? Where he says in Romans 12, he says, I long to see you, or no, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophecy, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. 
This is what he's telling them that God has poured out on them as they follow him. But he's also encouraging them that this is the body of Christ. This is a connectedness. And it's not something that we just say, this is all I do. It's how we share it with one another. And we also, and I've said this before, and is that we're connected. But we're not connected at our gifts of what we have. We're connected in the places of our own weakness. Think about that. Because sometimes someone could come to me and say, hey, my gift is teaching, I'm going to teach. Well, let's connect at another place. Where are you weak? Because I'll tell you where I'm weak. And that's how we work together. We function. The body of Christ, you look at the body itself and you see the connectedness is in the places of weakness. One cannot function without the other. And so as you see these gifts, Paul's trying to encourage them that I'm coming to let you know there's a way that you function together. He's bringing this, and it's from God. And then he talks about mutual encouragement in our faith. And he talks about this through Romans 14 to 15. But this is the line that I love in Romans 15. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind, one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Encouragement that we'll have the same attitude towards Christ Jesus. Be of one mind, one voice to glorify God. Everything about Paul in this letter, just it can stir you up if you hear his passion. This is not just something he's writing going, oh, I have to write a letter. I've got to send out an email. He wants them to know how excited he is. That that zeal he had, even as Saul, has been transformed into zeal for Christ. <clears throat> and he's hoping for that harvest. I can... I can weep sometimes at how little I feel about harvest. How much I'm not looking at a world seeing a harvest. The harvest is ripe, but the workers are few. Now it feels like the harvest is ripe and we got lots of workers, but no one's harvesting. Or no one has the heart to believe that that can happen. And off of that scripture in 15, where he says, I'm so eager to preach the gospel, he then says in Romans 1, 16 and 17, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jews, then to the Gentile. For the gospel is, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteousness will live by faith. Can you go back one slide there, Jade? This is an important part. This is uh, the proposition that some call, or the thesis, the argument for the whole letter. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. 
It's the power of God. Salvation to everyone. The gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And righteousness is by faith. I'm trying to fly through this, but this could be the whole, I could do a whole teaching on this. But he's saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. But I need you to really hear, he's saying, I am proud of the gospel. He's thrilled about the gospel. And why? Because it's the power of God. The power of God to everyone who believes. I sometimes forget that. I loved it when Sarah said, the bigness of God. God can be so small to us. And he's talking about the power of God. The power of God that brings salvation. It's this power of God that we've seen, and you see it all through Romans, where you see it in the resurrection of Christ, he talks about in God's creation, in God's redemption, in him keeping his promises, in his miracles, his grace, his forgiveness. It's all found here. It's all found here in the power of God that gives us salvation. And God's plan is to reach the whole world. He wants to do it through Israel. That's his plan. It was to do it through Israel. But, as we see, some didn't believe. And so, he wanted to see it then through the whole world. His idea was for God's people to be transformed so they can transform the world. And Israel missed out. But he still keeps his promise to the Jews. But the final thing is, and again, I'm flying through this. It says, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. The St. John Chrysostom, in his homily around Romans, he says these words. It is the righteousness of God that is revealed here, not yours, but God's, a righteousness both abundant and easily accessible. For you do not receive it by toils and labor, but you receive it by a gift from above, contributing one thing only from yourself, namely, believing. It's not our righteousness. And I think we can get, we can get that mixed up. There are three ways that people look at this uh, passage about righteousness. Because a lot of people have views of righteousness. I want to show, Jaden, uh, the next slide. Um, the righteousness of God. There are three ways. The first one is God's righteousness. It refers to his justice and his faithfulness. Just how great he is, what he brings into this world and his desire to see justice and mercy and faithfulness brought into this world. The second one is righteousness done by God. It's him putting things right that were made wrong in creation. Him 
redeeming this world. And the final one is righteousness from God. Righteousness that comes from him. And this is the one I want to focus on. This is the one where God, and it seems to be throughout this passage, where God justifies the sinner. He gives that person a different standing in his presence. He brings them into right relationship with him. And this one is a transformative righteousness. Romans 12, 1 and 2, we talk about no longer conform to the patterns of, of this world, but be transformed. It feels like Paul is talking about that. And as I shared earlier, Paul experienced it. He experienced that righteousness or that transformation. It's that saving action from the power of God. This is the power of God to transform. It's something we should be desiring. Continue to transform me, Lord. No longer to the patterns of this world. Because Paul's laying down a foundation of these scriptures from 1 uh, right through to 17. Because there's going to be a challenging message that comes. Because it has to be rooted in the gospel. And this is the gospel. This whole thing is the gospel. I'm going to close with this one statement out of the Michael Byrd's book, uh, his commentary. I love this. It says, The gospel is a story about Jesus which has penetrated into the eastern part of the Roman Empire and is creating Christ-shaped communities all over the place, like the very ones he's now addressing. The gospel is divine power unleashed to save Jews and Greeks. The gospel unveils divine righteousness to judge and to justify. The gospel is a message from God about God, a message that invades this world, and its proclamation creates a new people by creating faith in those who hear it. Gospel, gospel, gospel. Last week I said the word gospelized. Paul's wanting to gospelize these people. And I think it's an important thing before they get into the rest of this letter that they remember this is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel. It's something that I wish I could um, see us all reconnect on. The true good news. This is good news. We have good news about Jesus. We have good news about his power. We have good news about his righteousness. We have good news in our message. And it's all through the person of Christ. My hope is that we come back to that gospel. That we can't help ourselves. But continue to express with the same enthusiasm that Paul has of saying, I can hardly wait to teach, I can hardly wait to share, I can hardly wait to let people know about my God. I know we're almost done, but are there any thoughts that people have around what's been shared, or God speaking anything to you? I think what stuck out to me the most uh, through your message and through the passages, um, how much Paul 
was just not about his own, like, not about his own thing. He just was so focused on what heaven was doing. Like, he was so absorbed with um, Christ's life, not his own life and his own concerns. Um, and it's so different from how I live and how every, like, I think how we all live. Yeah. How it's so focused on us. But it made, it really challenged me this morning thinking about how spreading the gospel was his one sole passion. And that's just, just shed, shows a sharp relief to this world and our culture as Christians and me personally that I have, if you ask me like, what am I thinking about? What do I care about? It, that wouldn't be the first foremost thing in my mind if I'm being totally honest. And so that's a bit of a challenge. And I think that when it's that gospel focus, right, you start to, um, like you say, it's not about us, it's about him. And as we get into the rest of this letter, when you start to hear things that you think are negative, if you say, this isn't about me, this is about the gospel. How will I be transformed for the sake of the gospel? So you don't look at it and say, oh, he's talking about me. Why is he being so mean to me? We're saying, Lord, what are you doing to transform me? Any other thoughts? Lori. <clears throat> the part that just really is sticking with me is up on the screen, and it's about the gospel is a story about Jesus, which has penetrated into the eastern part of the Roman Empire. And is creating Christ-shaped communities all over the place. And I thought about that, and I thought, we're used to thinking we are part of the local empire, the current empire of the world, <laughs> and yet, just as in that time, the Roman Empire was so opposite the gospel, completely opposite to it, and everything that it brought with it, but within it, God created Christ-shaped communities. And that's what we are. We are a Christ-shaped community in a Western world empire. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it gives it a different perspective yeah. uh, and a new perspective for me for, to work with here. Yeah, we're part of a bigger picture here. Anyone else? I don't want to. Well, I want you to ponder that. I want you to ponder it this week. Just what, what does the gospel mean to you? That's the question. What is gospel to you?